Hello, Social Work 6371 students. Uh, I don't know where you are when you're listening to this. I don't know what you're doing, but wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're having a nice day. My name is Neil. I will be the professor for this class that you're taking. And what you're listening to right now, what's coming through your speakers or your headphones or whatever listening device you're using is something called a podcast lecture. What I want to do, in addition to telling you that, which was probably obvious, is explain a little bit more about what my podcast lectures are and the, the way that I structure them and the reason that I structure them that way. So here's my sort of uh, the method to my madness, I guess. I can remember clearly being in graduate school and I took a bunch of classes like you're going to be doing when you're in graduate school. Some of the classes were really great. I liked them a lot. I learned a bunch in them. Other classes, uh, you know, they weren't as good. And one of the things that differentiated the classes that were really great, really interesting, really useful from the ones that were, I'll say, just so-so was the way that the professor taught and the way that they kind of made, I don't really want to say this. How do I, how do I put this? You know, different professors had different expectations of students. That's, that's probably the best way to say it. And the classes that were really great, I find the professors had really good but high expectations of students. They expected students to do the work and to come to class having done the work. That was their expectation. And if you weren't able to do that, then you probably didn't do so great in the class, right? Uh, The classes that were just so-so, I think the professors sometimes didn't ask people to work as hard as they could have, right? And I'm sure, I don't know why the professors did that, but they didn't, you know. uh, they, They just kind of said, you know, do your best, try. And as long as you try, you'll probably, you know, get a really great grade and everything will be awesome and and stuff. And and those classes, you know, just, I didn't learn as much in them. So what I'm trying to do in the classes that I teach is I'm trying to do more of the former and less of the latter. I want to have my classes be really amazing, excellent, super useful, informative classes. So to do that, I'm going to, you know, expect a lot from all of you. I'm going to expect that you're all graduate student caliber students. You know, you're going to, I'm assuming you're here, right? That you're good students, that you want to be here, that this is something that you chose to do because you see the value in it. And because you are, you see the value in it, I I assume that you're willing to work hard, study, read, et cetera, so on and so forth, right? So that's, that's a given. Um, And one of the things that, I'm going to be doing as we work together is asking you to do a lot of reading. You're going to have to do a lot of reading in this class. You're going to have to read stuff. You're going to have to work to understand it. You might have to take notes, that sort of thing. Um, And then what I'm going to do is ask you to listen to these, ask you to listen to these podcast lectures. I want to make something really clear here. My podcast lectures are not going to be me summarizing what it is that you have just read. I think that that would be kind of silly, as I mentioned not that long ago. You're all adults. You have adult powers. You're all graduate students. You have graduate student powers. That means you can probably read and comprehend what you read. So you don't need me to tell you what you just read and explain it to you, summarize it for you, tell you what the main points were. You can do that yourselves. What my podcast lectures are going to be is me attempting to give you supplemental information, information that will add to whatever it is that you have read. My expectation of all of you is that you do your reading each week. Absolutely. Got to do that. And in addition to doing your reading each week, you should listen to these podcast lectures each week as well. And then what you should do after doing your reading, listening to the lecture, 
is you should come to class. When you come to class, you should have something like questions that you want to ask. You should have comments that you want to make. You should have criticisms that you want to levy at different things that I said or that you read about. You should have concerns that you want to bring up. What about this? What about that? I'm concerned that if somebody did this, it wouldn't work. Or if I did it, it wouldn't work for me. Whatever the concern is, you should have those sorts of things. You should voice them in class. Um, If I do the lectures like this, you know, you do your reading, you listen to your lecture. When we come into the classroom together, what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to have really, I hope, rich, wonderful discussions where a lot of people get to talk, a lot of people get to say something, a lot of people get to ask stuff. That's what I'm going for. And I think if we do that, we're all going to have a good time. You know, we're also going to do some hard work and we're all going to learn as we go through this. So that's my introduction to the class or the podcast lectures. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to play a little bit of introduction music and we come back from that introduction music, what I'm going to do is launch into the very first podcast lecture for this class. And we are back. Okay, so here's what we're going to be doing for this first podcast lecture, I'm going to try to go over four big points. And as I go over these points, again, I'm going to be attempting to supplement, to add to what it is that you did in your reading, what you learned by doing your reading, by telling you about these four points. Uh, The things that I say are not going to be exhaustive. I'm not going to tell you everything that you need to know about these four points. What I hope I'm going to be able to do is tell you enough about them so that, again, when you come to class, You'll have things that you want to say. You'll have things you want to ask. You'll have comments that you want to make, criticisms that you want to raise, concerns that you want to make other people aware of, so on and so forth. That is what we're going to be doing here today. So here is point number one. Uh, Point number one, what I want to do here is talk about uh, a little bit about the history of the development of social work as a profession. And as I talk about that, I want to engage the transformation of social work from whatever it was to whatever it is now. I want to I talk about that transformation because social work as it exists today is not the way that social work has always existed, right? I mean, that's probably an obvious thing to all of you listening to this, but it's important to say it. The way that social work was in the past is not the way that it is now. There's been some major shifts, major changes that have happened to the profession of social work. So if we look at the history of social work, what we will probably see if we go back to its origins is we will see that there was a group of people, mainly women, who had their what they needed, right? They had their the resources that they needed to live a good life. They had access to those resources. They were living rather good lives. The original social workers were women who came from pretty good backgrounds. And, you know, being women at the time in, in the you know late 1800s when social work kind of starts to come into being, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of options for you know careers or for becoming a professional for, for a lot of things. The, the women then had a lot less options than, than the women today do. Be that as it may, you know, the women then had a desire, a desire to live lives that were interesting, that were productive, that were good. 
And the original social workers, the original women who were social workers, one of the ways that they attempted to realize that desire was by going to places where people lived differently than they did, where people didn't have access to the resources that they had access to. And they attempted to help those people get access to the resources that they needed to have good, healthy, productive lives. That's what they did. Uh, The original social workers weren't kind of paid for their work, uh, at least not directly, right? They, they were people who they, they had patrons, I guess you might say, right? They had people in their lives who made sure that they had their needs met. So they didn't need to worry about that. They didn't need to worry about, you know, mortgages and rents and I don't know, insurance and so on and so forth, right? The, the stuff that they needed was largely provided for them by somebody else. Um, and then what they decided to do is go to places where people, like I said, they were lacking and, and tried to help them out, tried to give them what they needed. Social work in the beginning of its existence could be seen as kind of like a, what I might call a vocation, a calling, something that people did, not because they were trying to make a career for themselves. Not that there's anything wrong with making a career for yourself as a social worker, obviously. Um, but that's not what the original ones were doing. They were doing something because they said that they felt, hey, I'm, I'm good. My life is good. People over there, their lives, not as good. Maybe if I go over there, I can help them get a life which is more like my life. I can take their life, which is not as good as mine, and move it closer to the spot that my life is in. Right? That, that was the idea here. And they did this because they felt it was a way to actually help people and in helping people gain a sense of personal, I think, fulfillment as a result of it. And uh, there were some problems with the original social workers too. I want to make it sound like, I, and maybe we should address some of those real quickly here. I mean, you had people who were largely white women uh, going into places that were like immigrant communities usually. And in attempting to help the immigrants there, they were oftentimes trying to tell the immigrants that what they needed to do was assimilate to the American culture as opposed to kind of like preserving some of the cultural things that maybe they had going on. Uh, so you, you, and that's problematic for a bunch of different reasons. So that, that was going on. But what I want to call your attention to was how those original social workers had this, you know, strong desire to help. They went to the places where the people were having problems. They didn't expect the people who were having problems necessarily always to come to them. They, they went there. You have people like Jane Adams. Jane Adams created Hull House. She was a settlement house worker. She went into a neighborhood that was not her neighborhood she bought property there, and in that property, she started to do things like teach people what things like uh, how to speak English, how to how to cook. She offered childcare, so on and so forth. She went where she was. She thought she was needed. Set up shop there. You have other people who weren't in Chicago, like Mary Richmond, who was a COS worker. COS stands for Charity Organization Society, I think. And you know, she would go into neighborhoods, and, and social workers like her would go, and they would literally knock on people's doors and say like, hey, I was wondering if there's anything that you need help with. If you'd like some help, I will offer my assistance. And if people were like, nope, get out of here, they got out of there, right? They, they, it was called friendly visiting. They attempted to go to where people were and offer them some help in a friendly way, right? That's what they did. So you saw that stuff happening. You know, uh, one of the things that, as this is going on, one of the things that happens, which I think is really interesting, is that social workers uh, started to, go people who were social workers started to think okay there's a lot of value in what i do um 
maybe this is like a profession, a career, a job, something like that. And they asked this guy named Abraham Flexner to investigate social work and figure out if they were a profession. Uh, he said they weren't. He said what social workers did was extremely valuable, but he wouldn't call them a profession. Uh, he thought that what social workers did was put people who needed professionals in touch with the right professionals. He thought that they were um, really good kind of intermediaries between people who needed things and the professionals who could provide those things. But he didn't think that social workers were in themselves professionals. And he said that. Uh, and ever since that, I think social work kind of wanted to be professional. It wanted to become a profession and it worked to become a profession. It worked to create schools like the one that you're in right now that teach specialized knowledge and skills. Uh, it wanted to have standards. It, it worked to create itself as a, a profession and it's been doing that ever since. Now I'm going to cover a lot of history very quickly here. You know, you can see that social work and social workers do a lot of things you know, in the 1930s, um, going into the depression, social workers, uh, after Franklin Delano Roosevelt became president and launched all the new deal programs, so on and so forth, they started to, to work a lot for the state. They did become professional. They, they worked in hospitals. They worked for state agencies, for federal government agencies. They did a lot of different things. And, um, this lasts really, I would say all the way up into well, the, another really important moment I should talk about actually is the sixties, right? So the 1960s come along and in the 1960s, one of the things that we see is there's a bunch of people who start taking a more critical view of social workers. Uh, and that critical view of social workers lasts from the 1960s all the way to today, I think. And the people who have a critical view of social workers, their criticism is that social workers used to be a group of people who, you know, really allied themselves with individuals who are exploited and oppressed and attempted to work with those people um, directly to confront the others, the, the people in the institutions who are exploiting and oppressing them. And the criticism of social work as it exists now is, could be summarized this way. Social workers have gone from kind of like teaming up with the exploited and the oppressed to fight the institutions and the individuals who exploit and oppress them to, they, they went from that to working for the institutions and the individuals that are doing the exploitation and the oppression that social workers as they started to work for the courts, the hospitals, the schools, et cetera, uh, that they became uh, behooven to those institutions, that, they, that the social workers allied themselves more with the institutions, with the society, and less so with the individuals who were being exploited and oppressed by the society. Now, you might agree with that and you might disagree with that. You know, and, and both of those, whether you agree or disagree, is totally fine with me. What I want you to do is to think about that. And then when we come to class, I, I hope that you'll have some opinions, some thoughts, some ideas that you would like to share about this, right? About the idea that as social work has gone from being what we might call like a vocation or a calling to more of a profession, that it might have become more exploitive, um, more oppressive than it once was. You can agree, you can disagree. You can have questions about it. All that stuff is all good. Just come to class wanting to discuss that. And uh, on that note, I'm going to play a little bit of introduction music. My throat's getting dry. I'm going to drink some water. When we come back, we're going to talk about point number two.
piggybacking off of what I said when I talked about point number one, I'm going to talk about point number two here. And point number two is the difference between rules and standards and principles. So here's the way that it it looks to some people, and I'm one of them here as well, that um, one of the things which is super important to anything that is a vocation, anything that is a calling, is that it is oriented by what I will call principles. I want to dive into that and take that very short statement apart just a little bit here. A vocation, a calling, is something that is oriented by principles. So there's a couple words that are really important here. One, oriented by, and well, oriented is the word. Uh, What does that mean? So I think that if you're a social worker or, I don't know, a doctor or a teacher or something like that, uh, there's things that orient you. And what I mean by orient is there are things that you use to figure out kind of uh, who you are in the moment. And if you're going uh, closer to the kind of you that you would like to be, or if you're getting further away from the you that you would like to be. So you're all going to be social workers. My guess is that you have in your mind's eye a version of the kind of social worker that you would want to be. Uh, Let's make it a little bit more specific. Let's assume that all of you want to be, you know, uh, competent and compassionate social workers. So competency and compassion would be two points of orientation for you. When you go out into the field and you, you do the things that a social worker does, you will be able to, if you take the time to do this, take a look at your reactions, reflect upon your actions, and ask yourself, are, are these actions making me more competent or are they making me uh, less competent, more incompetent, I suppose? Are these actions making me more compassionate or more less compassionate, more callous, right? You'd ask those things. Now, if you were getting closer to these things, then that would probably be something that you'd think, okay, I'm doing good. And if you're getting further away from these things, then you'd think, okay, I'm doing bad. Uh, it's really, really important to have principles. And uh, I, uh, th- one of the things that kind of sometimes gets in the way of us having principles and using principles for orientation, it doesn't always get in the way, by the way, just sometimes, is rules and standards. Uh, when there are rules and standards, what happens is people follow the rules and they try to meet the standards. And if, if what I want to say here is that if the rules and the standards match up with our principles, we don't have any problems because the, the principles, the rules, the standards are all working together in concert uh, to help us orient ourselves and move in a direction which is probably a good direction. However, there are times where rules and standards are not li- aligned with principles, where they're even opposed to principles. So this happens a lot, I think, if there's a a principle of, you know, trying to make sure that people have access to resources, right? And that's a principle. If there's a rule that says that if people, I don't know, are above the poverty line, they don't qualify for having access to resources, that's a rule. And I just made that rule up off the top of my head. But the thing here is, let's just say, that somebody is, you know, maybe above the poverty line, which by the way, to be in poverty in the United States, it, it's, you know what you have to make, you have to make about, uh, I'm rounding here. If you make $13,000 a year, that's what you need to be in poverty. So let's just say that somebody's making like, you know, $15,600 a year. You know, somebody would, if they were following just the rule about what constitutes poverty, they'd say, no, you're not in poverty. 
because you're making over, you know, uh, $13,000 in a year. So you're, you're not in poverty. That is a ridiculous thing. That's a ridiculous rule. It's a stupid rule. Uh, the way that we decide what poverty is in this country is just really dumb. Uh, now, if we just follow the rule blindly, what will happen, I would say, is we would be getting further away from an important principle, the principle of being able to take people who are in need and provide for them, you know, to the extent that we can, what they need. So that's the the second point that I want to make here. Principles, rules, standards. Again, I don't want to make it sound as if it's like principles versus rules and standards. I don't think that's true. I think there are principles and I think there are rules and standards. And I think that sometimes all of these things can really nicely work together. And I think at times they can not work together. And what I think is really important is to, for, for you, for me, for all of us, is to really on a regular basis, take the time to look at what we're doing and how we're doing it and ask ourselves like, okay, what are my principles? And if we know what our principles are, great. If we don't, well, we should probably look into that and try to articulate them for ourselves a little bit more clearly than they're articulated now. And then once we've done that, we can ask ourselves, am I moving closer to those things or am I moving further away from them? Now, I said I was going to piggyback off of the first point. One of the point, the, the criticisms of professionalized social work is that as social work has become more professional, it's been more interested in following the rules and in meeting standards, standards that are set by, you know, big institutions, hospitals, governments, that sort of thing, and less oriented by principles. Uh, the, the, the criticism is that in, back in the day, and this might just be a way of romanticizing the past for our really, uh, but back in the day, social workers had principles and they adhered to their principles. And then as they professionalized and started to work for large, oftentimes very bureaucratic institutions, they became more interested in the rules and the standards of those institutions and they moved closer to those and in so doing moved further away from their principles. Again, I don't know if that's right or wrong um, myself. I, I have my opinions on it, but I, I really am much more interested in what all of you think about this. I want you to come to class having listened to this, having done the reading, and I, I hope, I really, really hope that you're going to have something to say about it, something about rules and standards and principles and how they work together or don't work together, something about the effects of professionalization on social work and what that's done. So that's what I'm hoping for here. That's point number two. So let's now move into point number three, uh, which in point number three, what I want to do is I want to ask the question, you know, what is the responsibility, the role of a social worker? What is it that makes a social worker good at the job that they should be doing, whatever that is? And this is a really important question because I think it, it, this is based off of my experience, you know, of, of teaching and being a social worker for as long as I have been. I think that one of the things that a lot of people think makes a social worker good at their job is that social workers just uh, want to help people, period, full stop. And I would argue that that is actually a really important thing. Wanting to be helpful is a good principle. Um, but this is where I'm kind of going to piggyback off of point number two here. Just because we have principles, that's not going to be enough to be good at our job. It's not. All right. 
having principles is important. It's, I would even say it's vital to the work that we're doing, that we have principles and that we know what they are. However, when I add to that and say that only having them isn't going to be enough. In addition to having them, we have to be able to make choices and perform different sorts of uh, actions that allow for us to move closer to our principles. You know, if you just have a principle, but you never move closer to it, doesn't really matter that you have it. If you have a principle and you're able to do things, do stuff, think in a certain way, maybe that helps you move closer towards that principle. That is actually the the thing that you need. You need to, you can't just want to be able to be helpful. You have to actually be able to be helpful to other people and to other groups of people. And that's harder, right? It's really easy, super easy to want to help people. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. What's harder is being able to cultivate the skill set that you need to cultivate in order to be good at helping people. That is a very different thing. So one of the questions that I have for everybody here now, and I'm going to raise in this lecture, and this is something that, you know, if you want to come to class with something to say, come up with your answer to this question. What do you think, you know, based off of what you've seen so far in your lives, uh, what do you think are the skills, the actual skills that people need in order to be able to be good social workers, in order to be able to move closer to the kind of defining principles that define social work. What, what is that? I'll give you an example just so that you don't go in there totally cold here. Um, one of the things that I think is a really important skill and is a skill which is, I think, not talked about a lot and is perhaps even undervalued is the ability to listen to other people. Really listen to them. And when I say that, what I mean is, of course, you listen to people. You listen to people all the time. I listen to people all the time. I'm going to argue that there's a difference between listening to people with, you know, kind of partial attention, kind of paying attention to them, but actually spending a lot of time also in my own head, kind of giving out how I'm going to respond and thinking about this and so on and so forth, right? I'm listening to people to, to varying. I don't always listen to, to everybody with 100% of my attention. I don't think anybody does. Um, however, if I'm working with somebody who's come to me for help, right? They come to me as a patient or a client, if you like that word better. And they start to, and I, I'll probably ask them, you know, why are you here? What, what brought you to see me? They'll start to answer that question. If I tune them out and I'm thinking about other stuff, I'm not really listening to them. I would say that's probably not a really good idea. And I think that one of the things that makes me better at being a good social worker is the ability to really tune into and fully, as fully as I can, you know, listen to what a person is saying and be able to really, really hear a whole bunch of stuff in what it is that they're saying. And we'll talk more about what specific things you might want to hear later on in the semester. But right now, I just want to say very generally that listening is really important, right? Um, another thing that I, I think is really important is knowing when not to talk, uh, which might sound kind of weird, right? Uh, I find that a lot of times when people come to see me, what they do is they have this idea that I'm going to kind of have some sort of magic answer for them. And they'll tell me a little bit about themselves and they get quiet and they're expecting me to respond with some kind of great answer for whatever it is that ails them, whatever difficulties they're having in their life, telling them how to fix those problems, get rid of those difficulties. And I don't ever have that, right? Because after talking to somebody for a very short period of time, it's 
probably, I mean, somebody comes with a, a huge problem, you listen to them talk for, let's just say, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, are you really going to know enough about them to offer them a solution? I mean, I suppose maybe some people could, but I'm not one of them. Uh, so one of the things that I do is I'm quiet. I, I When people come and they, they talk to me, I, I spend more time being quiet or asking them more questions than giving them answers. So maybe it's, it isn't just being quiet, it's, it's refraining knowing when to refrain from attempting to produce an answer. That's a really important skill that makes people good at being a social worker, I think. I think a lot of people need to get better at that. I think a lot of social workers who I know feel a lot of pressure to produce an answer, and they try to produce an answer, and they try to produce an answer before they know enough to produce an answer. And that's something that I think ends up making them less effective at their job. So those are just two things that came to my mind, listening and holding off on making an answer, producing an answer, giving an answer, that sort of thing. Those are two things that I think make people who are social workers better at their job. So I want you all to think about this. Think of things that you think would make people, social workers, better at their job. Come to class ready to talk about those things. And we're back. And here's my last point. My last point is going to have to do with something that came from your reading. It had, your reading talked a lot about, you know, practice philosophy and roles and values and those sorts of things. And one of the words that got thrown around a lot was the identity, the professional identity of social workers. And what I want to do in this last section is say a couple of things about identity that I don't know if you're going to expect these or not, but I, I think that they're important to hear. So the first thing I want to say about identity is, you know, social work tends to exist in what many people have called a identity crisis. If you tell somebody that you are a social worker, they might not really know what it is that you do because social workers do a ton of different stuff out in the world. They have tons of functions they perform. They work in so many different areas and they don't have one thing that they do. Like if somebody says, I am a brain surgeon or I am a heart surgeon. Like that's a pretty specific thing. You, you might be able to understand what they do. Imagine it, you know, to a pretty high degree of specificity. If somebody says I'm an electrical engineer, you know, same thing. If somebody says I'm a social worker though, man, he, you don't know. He, sometimes people might give you a little bit more. They, they might say I'm a school social worker or I am a child welfare social worker or something like that. And you might have a better idea than but it just underlines the point I'm trying to make that social workers work in child welfare, they work in schools, they work in the court system, uh, they work in police stations, they, they work so many different places. So when somebody is a social worker, it's really hard to just with that, you know, if, if you see somebody, you know, on an application for whatever, it's what is your profession? They put social worker. That doesn't tell you what they do, right? Because social work does not have one identity. It has many identities, plural. And some people see that as an identity crisis. And there's many people who have argued that one of the things that would be good for social workers would be to try to have less identities, plural, and to create like almost like a singular, this is what we are, this is what we do kind of identity. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying to, I've been trying to hold back on my personal opinions throughout this lecture because I find that if I give my personal opinions, it maybe means that students will be less apt to give theirs. But on here at the end, I'm going to give mine. I think that social work's identity crisis is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I hope it continues. 
I, I say that because I'm a fan of options. I'm a fan of plurality. Is that a word? I don't know. I used it. So let's just assume that it is for now. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of people being able to do a bunch of different things and to, to change what they're doing after doing something for a long time. You know, in my own career as a social worker, what I was doing at the beginning is not what I'm doing today. You know, I, I, I can say, and I'll talk more about this maybe in a different time. I think there have been sort of like three versions of me as a social worker in the field that I've maybe four. Yeah, let's say that. Let's say that there's four versions of a social worker that I've been in the field. And those four versions have aren't the same. They've changed. And they've changed because my life has changed. My level of education has changed. What's important to me has changed. You know, uh, so many things change. And because I'm a social worker, I can still be a social worker and do a bunch of different things. And that's actually really great. Uh, so that's the first thing I want to say about identity. The second thing I want to say about identity is to, and this is kind of going back to an earlier point, identity is something that uh, hopefully matches up with the principles that we have, the principles that we hold, and helps us get closer to those sorts of things. But what happens sometimes, and I think this is really unfortunate, is that people are more interested in conforming with an identity than they are with being true to principles. And if that ever happens, I think that can be really, really bad think bad things can happen when people do that. Um, but anyways, I feel like I've said too much, actually. I've talked too much here. This has been the first podcast lecture for this class. I, I've talked about a couple of different things. I talked a little bit about the history and of social work as a profession. I talked about principles and rules and standards. I talked about what it is that makes, uh, you know, might make a social worker good at their job, effective. And I followed up the, by making the last point on identity and social work's identity crisis. And you've listened to the first lecture now. Hopefully there's some, some things that you think. I will see you all in class. I look forward to it. I look forward to meeting you all and hearing all of the things that you have to say when you come into class. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. I will see you all soon. Till then, make some glorious mistakes. Glorious mistakes.